Oh, can we do that together? <laughs> I don't think we have to. No, I, think, I think we just started. You can hear me, yeah. That's, I can hear you. This is the intro to the podcast. This is how we start. Boom, yeah. and we're boom, live. We're live. I don't know if there's another podcaster who says that. Uh, boom, we're live. <laughs> <laughs> we could just steal everyone else's podcasting ideas. Yeah, what else do people say? What does Primogen say? He's like... I'm not sure. No. He's quite popular, but we should probably copy Yeah, him. he's very energetic. Yeah. I don't have the energy level that Primogen has, though. That's the problem. No, I'm trying to manage my energy levels yeah. so that it kind of maintains the whole way through the podcast. Yeah, otherwise I get sleepy at the end. <laughs> Episode 101 was a, you know, wow, an emotional roller coaster. It was. <laughs> yeah. It was good to get it out of the way. Though. Yeah, lots of sweat, let's say. I know, it was hard. Yeah. Or if, um, if I think about all the social media content that I've been consuming lately, it's like, start the podcast, just do it, start it, come that's on. That's true, that's it. true with everything, yeah. you know, software, it was just me saying one day I'll be, I'll like get a full-time job in software. Yeah. And the only thing that actually ended up doing it was me like resolving Gary Vaynerchuk, <laughs> you know, I'm going to do it and then just doing it, like starting small, you know, finding something to do. That's the key. Yeah. As soon as you do it, it's like programming. You don't know how to solve a task. Yeah until you've executed it once. So. Yeah, I think you were telling me that in another previous conversation. I think I was. That wasn't on the podcast. That wasn't live. We don't exist outside of the podcast, but that did exist. Well, all these side conversations that we've had, we're going to make them real and put them on the podcast. Oh, right. Yeah. That's difficult. I think a lot of podcast hosts, they like don't talk to each other <laughs> as much as possible because otherwise they, they end up with all these like inside jokes that end up on the podcast <laughs> and they don't realize. Well, we've been doing that. We're like, oh, we should stop talking now. Save this yeah, podcast. we're not allowed to talk to each other. It's, it's too good. Too many gorilla jokes being, to be had. Well, we've got so much stuff to talk about from 2020. That's true. What's wow. Happened? What, what has happened 2020? Oh. It's been a big year. How did I start? What was the start of 2020? Was that, uh, I would have just started at 86400 at mm. my last job. Yep. And yeah, what uh, month did you start? Did I start 2019, I think, uh, as a DevSecOps engineer? Yeah. Yeah. And uh, early part of 2020 was just me getting on my feet, uh, going from a startup into what is essentially enterprise banking it was a bit of a, uh, a bit of a shock yeah. to say the least. Yeah. Uh, mostly because of how casual I think it was. I had very high, you know, <laughs> I set a very high people. bar yeah, you, yeah, you, for you, myself when I moved work, there. Yeah. And then you go into a finance environment and everyone's so chill. People <laughs> do things like that here. <laughs> the, uh, the training at the beginning of work actually said, like, the way you can tell if someone is going to commit fraud is if they work too hard. Because <laughs> if they're always at their desk... You have to be suspicious because <laughs> they're probably stealing money from yeah, you. you. Gotta watch so, those yeah, so I wasn't even, you know, I felt, you know, scared to work too hard there. So, yeah. Yeah. Well, you don't want to be the odd one out yeah. in the team working, you know, very hard and everyone else is taking it. Easy. I know. If you do that, then, you know, promotions, money, you don't want that. <laughs> Stay <laughs> well, mediocre. You might get ostracized from the group. Culture yeah. just might not be there. It's a uh, tall poppy syndrome. Tall poppy, yeah, yeah. yeah. Apparently that's a thing in Australia in particular. Yes. Yeah. Most it makes toxic workplaces. Yeah. I don't think we suffered from any of that at any of my workplaces, thankfully. Mm. But uh, yeah. So you went from, so the startup change to the enterprise <laughs> stuff. Did you take a different approach when you were coding things as well? Or was it just a cultural difference? Or? I think the biggest difference was uh, moving from a mono repo, 
a monorepo with, uh, well, sorry, it wasn't a monorepo, it was a monolith uh, of Ruby and, what was it, Flow and React uh, on the front end, uh, doing full stack. Uh, it was a big shock for me moving into this microservices, like, there were probably 30 different microservices that I ended up working on, mm-hmm. and I've built several of them. Uh, yeah, there was a lot of... Uh, I suppose you have to change your mindset from my objective is to deliver a feature to my objective is to deliver value to the organization. Because you can't just sit down in banking and say, I'm going to change the way we display transactions. Mm -hmm. Because you have to go through 13 different approval processes. Someone has to sign off on it and everything. Whereas elsewhere and in other projects I've worked on, the most important thing has just been deliver and deliver as quickly as possible. An enterprise environment, you have to... uh, improve things so that you may be smooth processes. Uh, like uh, a lot of what I did in DevOps was automating, automating work and uh, mig- we migrated databases and that sort of thing. So just making life easier for developers in general. Whereas at, at my job before that, at the startup, it was all add this button, yeah. make sure when you click the button, it goes here. Yeah. And that's all anyone cared about. Yeah. So, Internal and- tooling. I think it's to do with the, with the, maturity of the organization too like in a startup you just got to get shit done and get it out the door otherwise the longer startup, it's been yeah fails. well i think even 86400 went through that process where they had like they needed to launch initially and before i had joined i i joined almost right after they got their banking license but um uh, after that, I think it became a focus on stability in the platform and security, which yeah. was, uh, yeah, that was probably the biggest change. If I'd been there before, I probably would have had the same sleepless nights uh, up coding features. Yeah. But uh, yeah, it's no full stack in that world. But the startup's fun because you can just uh, take bull by the horns and just do whatever you want. Yeah. No one gives a shit as long as that button turns up in the morning, as long as James, oh yeah, James put the button in. Okay, you can add a feature if you want to. No one's really really going to care. No one stops you. Yeah. As long as that main thing that they want gets done. Well, when you've got the mature organizations, there's normally like a group of people who want to make sure that all the code that gets written is in the best interest of the the company succeeding. Quality definitely matters a lot. Quality, yeah. Yeah. There was a lot more code review. We had to... Uh, mandatory two-person code review, which was unique mm-hmm. for me. Uh, so not only do you have to chase someone to read your code, you have to chase two people to read it, understand it, and approve it. Mm-hmm. It's a bit of a nightmare. So a yeah. lot of the time was reading code. You experienced the full gamut in 2020 because you've gone startup where you've got to get features done to enterprise where you know, you're working as a large team to building your own product where you just do everything. And I don't even let anyone read my code. <laughs> you throw pull requests up at 2 a.m. and then merge them at 7 a.m. <laughs> well, I, I just don't see the point, you know. I mean, no one's actually going to read my code because everyone has their own features to build. There's a product to ship, so no one cares. Yeah. No, I, but um, the thing I like about it is a bit of trust in the team. So the product we're working on now, me and you're building it together. Yeah. Business process automation tool. Yeah. And uh, it's nice because we get to come up with the idea, like we found the problem. Yeah. We know we're going to solve it. And then we get to think of how... To the best of our knowledge, we'll solve it. Yeah. Solve it. 
Hopefully we solve the problems, yeah. And just throw top script at it until it goes away. <laughs> That's right. Any business problem, just add more technology. <laughs> That's what I do. We're adding Elastic soon. That'll be in. Yeah. No, when we started, you said you're only allowed to have two points of... Two innovation tokens. Two innovation tokens, yeah. That's a, that's a, I think that's a normal software thing, innovation tokens. <laughs> I, I feel like we've used them, but I feel like we haven't used them because no, most of our technology is very boring. I think we've used very stable technology for the most part. I can't think of what's innovative. What are really. we doing? The mono For the listeners at home, what's yeah. our stack? Our stack, yeah. oh, right. Uh, so we started with Neo4j, Lambda, and what was our front end? React. Just React, yeah. Did we use a framework? No. No, there was no framework. Create React app. Create React app. Yeah. yeah, the closest thing to it. Yeah. Uh, and then we migrated um, when we decided that this was a problem space that worked for both of us, uh, for all three of us. Uh, we decided to move away from Neo4j because I would be the one probably building the application for the most part. Mm-hmm. have the most experience with databases and APIs authorization um so we moved to postgres uh as our data storage uh with a typescript monorepo uh serverless for all of our apis and react uh in between i think the most interesting thing about this monorepo uh relative to others is that we decided to build a api client mm-hmm. so when i build a an endpoint in the serverless project i write the type definition and serializers and deserializers for uh, the API. Yeah. So that way, when I finish my work, uh, especially because we're working remote in the era of COVID, the, you need to have the least amount of communication as possible. So I hand over the API client with the method, and I think, what, nine times out of ten, it works, yeah, as it says good. on the box. Yeah. yeah. So having those types up front, I think, has helped us a lot, and I think will help with our... Uh, scalability in the future in terms of work so i want to come back to the stack but before yeah. before we go there with the api client i just want to say because i've been doing more of the front end even though i do like doing full stack but you're stronger on back end so just like let you run with that whole thing yeah. but um the api client's been really nice like whenever i need data at the beginning we were talking maybe we use graphql like how do we get data into our reactor Types data in Type particular because yeah. we're using TypeScript front end back yeah. yeah. So we had the discussion about GraphQL and then you'd come up with the idea for the API client and uh, I was I was a bit apprehensive but like I just wanted to try it. I was like, apprehensive it's, it's as well. Good, but like, <laughs> but it's, it's super nice. It's like um, we've got an API client which is just throughout the context of the reactor. Whenever we need data we just use this client. Yeah our data into the respective component and it's been working good because it's all typed whenever james adds something new to the client it's very easy to see what he's added and how to interact with it so uh, most of the time he can just like point me and say you know go to this method and i can just use intellisense and find the things i need to find which has been really good right because previous dealings with like just javascript and working with developers who are doing like back end and I'm doing front end there's always that hard like 
communicating how to interact with the API. Yeah, you have to ask what's the the URL, what params are yeah, possible. Right. So you end up writing these big documents, right? Have yeah, you like Swagger? Uh, or, Swagger, yeah. yeah. So we use Swagger uh, at my last job for all of our microservices, yeah. and I just found that when the there's so much drift. We we ended up testing some of the stuff elsewhere, like t- testing what the Swagger documentation said versus what was actually delivered, yeah. and none of the contracts actually held for any of our endpoints. Yeah, that's always what happens. Because no it ends up drifting. The, documentation. the same thing is documentation. Yeah. And it's even weirder because the documentation that we used was actually based on uh, uh, decorators, essentially. Oh, yeah. So it was actually right next to the code, but even the even with it being directly next to the code, none of the the, the contracts held. Yeah. So I've seen heaps of times um, developers will go to use some documentation, and if one thing is a little bit wrong, they'll just assume the whole documentation. We is have wrong. to lose. Yeah, you have to, like, and then you have to test the whole thing. It's like sad because, yeah. like, maybe there's only one little mistake, yeah. and then no one wants to take ownership for the documentation except for the person who has created it. Yeah, so it spoils like, the opinion of it. It does. Yeah. But you don't get that with TypeScript. It's built in. Yeah. You can't, like, to you can't types, document yeah. it incorrectly. Yeah. <clears throat> well, there's also, I definitely could make the types wrong, but the other benefit of the API client is that uh, uh, my methodology is uh, <clears throat> everything needs to be tested, particularly at interfaces. Mm-hmm. Uh, without tests, I just don't believe anything works. That's my my go-to. Yeah. Uh, so the API client ends up being what I would typically write in other services. Normally, I would write like a wrapper around the HTTP endpoints so that I can like write tests in a cleaner way so that I'm not like making the same fetch call with data.json everywhere. Mm. Um, so when I write those, I actually get the chance in my tests specifically just for the API to exercise those contracts and make sure that every one of the cases actually works and returns valid data. Even the errors are typed, so it's not possible. It's, it's interesting to say that. It's not possible for it to return anything other than what it says yeah. based on the current system that we have, yeah. which is a nice thing to say. It's either throwing this type of error, this type of error, or it's returning this data in whole. Yeah. So. I, like the way, I like the way you approach solving the problem by building your own solution because a, a lot of JS devs, TypeScript devs will look for the closest NPM package. Yeah. And I know you try and avoid that. So like a, a lot of people would like just use like Apollo or React Query or they love putting mm. those kind of packages in it. Everyone has to like, a lot of people have opinions on which package to use. Yeah. Not many people have an opinion on you know, maybe we can build something else. Structure or yeah. architecture. Yeah. yeah. I think that's more important for longevity. Otherwise, you just end up <clears throat> doing heaps of rewrites. You end up in a point where you feel like you have to split into microservices if you if you go for package or framework-driven development, I feel. Yeah. yeah. Uncle Bob's whole, uh, if you use a framework, uh, you should write your business logic outside of the framework and then apply the framework to your business logic. Yeah. It shouldn't be the opposite. So if I needed to, theoretically, you should be able to change frameworks. So yeah. just using Express or something doesn't really work for me. And I think that's helped a lot. I think that makes the code easier to understand. It means there's typically a few more files, uh, but overall code quality and maintainability seems to go up. Because yeah. then you, what ends up happening is you end up with one small change that needs to be made to the system. For example, we added open tracing at one point, which is... <clears throat> 
8600. Oh. So we added open tracing. And if I had gone for the route of everything is just like an express endpoint, I would have had probably 300 different endpoints to like manually go through and apply changes to oh, in yeah. order to get this working. Yeah. I've, you know, I have very uh, weak wrists, so I, I can't type that much. <laughs> I have weak wrist-driven development. Um, so I'm just able to slap it in the one place across uh, three different services, and then open tracing was enabled. Yeah. So it just makes features and observability a lot easier to implement as well, these sort of things. When you go for... you'll If you were to use just like RPC directly or something, which was another option that I was looking at, there's no... I'm sure there are, but uh, there's always an edge case. You don't know what your edge case is yet, but if you don't own and control those important yeah. parts of your application, well, you like, don't know where it's going to break. This is going to bring me back to the stack because I want to talk about the stack. Yeah. But perfect <laughs> example, we started off using AWS Cognito for our auth and I got stuck on it for like a week trying to get magic links working. Yeah. And then you have played with it for a couple of days. Then you're like, I can just write our own auth like yeah. service, which will do I, it's this. It's a scary statement, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> I'll write our own authentication because and like authorization every, framework. Every blog I read is like, oh, don't don't write your own auth. Just abstract that to a third party. Just use, you know, Cognito or yeah. one of the other ones. What's that? Oh, uh, auth0. Zero. Auth0, zero. You know, yeah. Use one of those services because auth is hard and you don't want to get that wrong. But yeah. then you go down the path where you, you're locked into a vendor and if it's not quite doing what you want it to do like you're stuck or yep. um, you know you have to look at other options so but this okay so what I want to talk about with the stack was oh that's that I want to go back to that oh, I, yeah. I, I, I agree like that's 100% true uh, the, the important thing with a vendor is you need to put the vendor as far to the edges of your system as possible mm-hmm. I feel like it's, it would be perfectly fine to start off using uh, Amplify or yeah. something, but it would need to be wrapped. Like you need to control it. Yeah. You, you don't let Amplify control your application. Yeah. You control Amplify. Yeah. Don't if you if you invert that dependency, it's actually perfectly safe and it's a good way to scale up. Yeah. But if you start off in the wrong direction, then changing later becomes uh, yeah, yeah. a month long task that never gets done. Yeah. Two jobs ago, I we were changing auth from uh, device and Rails to auth zero and. It was actually never completed. It took three months for us to actually get the spike done because of the amount of authorization work that was directly tied to device. And we had another gem that rendered stuff inside of the uh, ERB as well. So keep things at the edges of your system if you're going to use a third-party dependency like that. Yeah. But um, what I was going to say about the stack was uh, I've kind of seen the spectrum as well. So starting... My first job was at Domain, as you know, for the listeners at home, domain.com.au, real estate website, which was which is a large public company, uh, 200 devs there. From there, I went to a startup, super small team, five people there, and just seeing the juxtaposition of someone like Domain where um, they've got their vendors, AWS in this case, and... You know, they've got a lot of internal tools and a lot of their own build systems um, to run all their services and keep all their teams running. And they had the approach of, okay, they're going to build some stuff and 
use some third party stuff. So like they were using Elasticsearch and Kibana and they were paying for a license there and they were using New Relic. Um, but they did have a lot of internal stuff that they built as well, like their own Jenkins pipeline and they had their own build system. For Thankfully, they didn't uh, go ahead and try to build their own Elastic. I don't know if the <laughs> log aggregator and search engine might not be one that you want to implement yourself. But um, then going to the startup where the whole um, approach that those guys were taking was we don't build anything, we just buy. So like, so our auth is through auth zero. Uh, every single AWS service that we can use, we're going to use it. They tried to minimize as much. But they, they went down the path of no ops, as they call it. They didn't want any operations. They just wanted to be able to write React and CSS every day and deliver features. Um, so like when I started this project with you, I kind of thought that would be the same way, but it's actually good to take a step back and say, well, no, we should build certain things, even though it might take slightly longer. It's going to let us move a lot faster in two, three months' time. Yeah. I think that's the critical point, too. Like, You're never going to struggle in the early stages of building an application. Mm. The first three weeks, if you just decide we're just going to use every hosted service, you're going to build features so quickly, mm. it's going to be blazingly fast. Yeah. The issue comes when there's a change that alters or shifts your system to the side. Yeah. If users all of a sudden need to authenticate in a different way, you've got no types anywhere, yeah. uh, you're using this other service, You the, the, the duration of your change will probably be, let's find another hosted service, because that's clearly you're thinking already, yeah. let's shift to that service, yeah, then let's right. implement this feature. Yeah. And that's something that has happened elsewhere as well. Yeah. So. Yeah, I like building stuff. Control it yourself. You don't have to control everything. That I, I agree with as much as possible. No ops. We use like GitHub Actions because yeah. I, I don't want to run and manage CI servers. It's cheaper to run on serverless. Well, hold on, you just uh, got that thing running on your laptop at home. Didn't you? <laughs> That's true. Actually, <laughs> <laughs> all of our CI servers are now running on a on a build server my brother uses for his job. Actually, uh, yeah, we ran out of minutes there, and that was the. Uh, that was a catalyst to get it running. A lot of it is cost saving. We're both running, our budget is out of our own pockets. So we want to minimize our costs as much as possible yeah. up until we get profitable. Yeah. So I mean, we don't have any, you know, VC funding yet. No. <laughs> <laughs> Who knows if we're interested. Uh, <clears throat> so serverless made, made sense. There's simple tools to build and deploy that stuff. But uh, I don't think any of this stuff is particularly difficult to get into if it's managed well, which I, I think we're doing a pretty good job of. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. So, down the track then, because we've built a lot of stuff, how do you think people, when the team starts growing, you start getting more people onto the team, do you think it'd be easy for them to learn like what we've done? Yeah, I think no matter where you go, it's going to end up taking someone a month to get yeah. really started and get into a project. Uh, I would hope anyone... Essentially, you just need to know how to write JavaScript, and TypeScript probably is for the best, yep. if you know that too. Um, the whole thing is in JavaScript. There'll be Java later when we integrate with uh, the ATO, but otherwise, if you know TypeScript very well, then you shouldn't have any problems figuring anything out. you think TypeScript's going to take over? Or I think it's already taken over quite a bit. Yeah. I, I, 
it's one of those things anyone I know who's moved to TypeScript can't go back. Yeah. Because I, I, I look at, at JavaScript now and I'm terrified. I can't tell what anything is. <laughs> I, I'm so reliant on, I have this binding, Shift-K, and it just tells me whatever the thing under my cursor is. Yeah. And without that, I just feel totally lost in a code base. Yeah. I'm used to it in Go. I'm used to it in TypeScript. And going back to JavaScript, all you get is the absolute worst IntelliSense because you're doing these dynamic imports and everything, and yeah. it can't really resolve what's what. So I, I can't ever imagine like larger why companies there, going back to that. Why is there still some strong opposition from some JavaScript devs but moving to TypeScript? I think like, it's like Ruby. Thing, when you like said to me, oh, let's use TypeScript, because when I started, we are just, the repo started with JavaScript, and then when you came on, it was like, let's move to TypeScript. I'm like, yeah, good idea. Like, I've heard a lot about it. I want to try it. I thought, I thought it's going to be slow and tedious at the beginning, but mm. now's a good chance to learn it. But what's the... Like, and like you said, in hindsight, I think like it's great. I wouldn't go back to normal JavaScript. But I want to know why some people are so opposed to making the change to TypeScript. And I found it's, it's not the newer developers. It's some of the more seasoned ones who are opposed to these changes. Why mm. do you think? Like, I can't see the reasoning for not wanting to go to TypeScript. I think the people that I've heard have opposition to it are either people who feel like they just want to get their job done now, those sort of people where everything is just feature build, feature build, feature build, which eventually you burn out your products. Essentially, you've wasted everything uh, on just adding additional features. The the same people who do that typically are the people that don't really advocate for tests. There's another camp, though, I feel... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> not to insult anyone I know there's a massive user base uh, listening to this podcast right now so I don't fine. judge you at all of course not personally though I couldn't live without it the um, the other camp is I feel like the same sort of people that went to Ruby from Java uh, my friends uh, at previous work uh, were opposed to types in Ruby. So they had sorbet, that sort of oh, yeah. things, that, those sort of things that I sort of was interested in implementing. They were quite opposed What's to it. What's sorbet? Uh, it's a type system for Ruby. Oh, so Ruby's yeah. a dynamic language, yeah. much, like, much like JavaScript, yeah, yeah. but object-oriented yeah. in particular. Um, and there was opposition to that because a lot of people feel like the move to Ruby was a move away from like enterprise-level frameworks mm-hmm. like Spring where everything's magic and then also there's so much I don't know if you've opened up just like a Java bean before and there's like there's 800 lines and they're all like setters and getters and like the the the, uh, attribute field and it's impossible to actually read any of that code because there's types everywhere so they might have a negative reaction to having types Java's a can be a painful language sometimes Mm. but uh and then TypeScript also, I feel like, reminds people of that. It sort of looks like um, what's C-sharp, <clears throat> C-sharp yeah. for JavaScript. Yeah. Unity Script, which is one of the first time I learned a typed JavaScript variant, was essentially just, uh, which is a, it's JavaScript for Unity. They've yeah. retired it since, but it was before TypeScript. Uh, that looked exactly like C-sharp, much like this, and people didn't like that either because yeah. it was too, I, I suppose, typed. Yeah. But the compiler is one of the best parts about 
TypeScript. Yeah. Once you get used to having a compiled language, I don't know how you go back to it. If you have to constantly test your feature manually, think of all the time that you're yeah, a right. wasting. Yeah. You could really be out having coffee breaks. <laughs> that's, <laughs> that's why I've had so many coffee breaks in my life. I just write in type language strictly. Yeah. That's true. The more efficient you are, the more time you have. Exactly. Um, yeah, it's interesting, but because swapping, like when we moved our code base from JavaScript to TypeScript, it's all locked in. Like, it was actually so painless. We just added one little file at a time, like yep. bit by bit, bit by bit. And then I think there was like 90% TypeScript and 10% JavaScript. And then at that point, it's just like go hunting for JavaScript files and change them for the sake of it. Yeah. yeah. Search for any JS files, yeah. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, 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 yeah. <clears throat> Calling them off. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, it's locked in, so you only get benefits. Do you think there's a... Do you think it's possible to have a repo where some people still write JS and some people still write TypeScript? I would say there'd probably be a negative. Yeah. Uh, that's... You typically want some sort of style to your code. Yeah. Ideally... It, we don't live in an ideal world, but ideally the people who write code at your organization would write code that's somewhat similar. Yeah. If you go into one part of the code base and it's written entirely in JavaScript and then another part's written totally in TypeScript, yeah, you can have a bit of a nightmare. Yeah, yeah. Right. So then you, you have the same thing where, where I've worked where you have, uh, what, four different languages. You have Python, Scala, Java, JavaScript, and TypeScript, five languages technically. Uh, the context switching is a massive overhead. It's hard to to swap between languages and actually maintain pr productivity. Yeah. For a lot of people, you also have to change IDs, for example. So you might have to go between WebStorm and, uh, what is it, IntelliJ IDEA. Yeah. For me, I use Vim. So just, just, putting that in there. <laughs> just putting in that I use Vim as an aside. It's not an important part of me. I... <laughs> but, uh, yeah, actually, it's, it's coding standards. Speaking yeah. of Vim... We've got a, a co. We work out of a co-working space in Sydney, and uh, before James started, it was just me on my lonesome. And I use VS Code, and uh, you know my my coding. Sometimes I've got Chrome on the screen. Sometimes I've got VS Code on the screen. There's a few pretty colours, but people never commented. Like they'd walk past my office and like say, "Oh, you do coding, whatever." Like, yeah, yeah. But then when James started and he sat up next to me and he pulled out his ErgoDocs and was using uh, NeoVim. We use NeoVim. NeoVim, yeah. yeah so yeah. I use NeoVim and Tmux and Yeah, yeah. and then everyone in the office was like... On Arch what? Linux, by the way. <laughs> I use Arch. <laughs> when James goes to the bathroom, everyone in the office walks up, who's that guy? Oh my God, <laughs> is he connected to the Matrix? <laughs> yeah, my full screen Tmux window with... <laughs> <laughs> All the logs scr scrolling down is a bit matrixy. Yeah, it, it's a bit unparsable. Yeah. Keyboard with no keys and everyone's freaking out. There's no, there's no uh, letters on no my letters keycaps on either. Keycaps. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, it's yeah. like a, it's an entirely, entirely different species. I think there's a lot of people who do like uh, typical office work here. They're not used to the, the developer, <laughs> the strange developer, antisocial. <laughs> Actually, one person in the office. <laughs> picked you straight away they're like oh you were deaf as soon as you walked down the lift one day wasn't it well that was just because apparently I don't make eye contact with her which is a, that's a great compliment that's what I like to hear it's not that I don't like people I just I can only handle so many people because I have to do coding so yeah 
Talking uh, with people, that costs energy. I do software without the soft skills. That's yeah. my forte. <laughs> That's my tagline, <laughs> jamesalpha.com. <laughs> yeah, so uh, we've had a pretty busy 2020, haven't we? Yeah, wow. We both left our jobs. Yeah, that was scary. How did yeah. you feel about that? <clears throat> Uh, I had already been speaking with my manager before I left. Uh, I think we both feel like we wanted to do more with our lives than just be enterprise developers, yeah. let's say. Yeah. Uh, and uh, we, everyone I know, since I've been in software, almost everyone has a startup idea that they want to pitch you yeah. and then uh, get you to sign on and be their technical co-founder. Yeah, yeah, I think yeah. I've been pitched maybe seven times <laughs> <laughs> to be technical co-founder. Well, you've got the rep. I think everyone knows you could get something off the ground. It's just the ergo dots. It's not the actual coding ability. It has nothing to do with that. Yeah. Maybe I'd get some more uh, requests if I swap to Vim. You don't, yeah, just, just start using Vim and you'll be... <laughs> Uh, requests more, more LinkedIn requests as well. <laughs> I need to just put that on my LinkedIn somehow. Yeah. Maybe it's my profile photo. Yeah. yeah. But I think everyone who gets into coding wants to be like a problem solver. That's why you get into it, isn't it? Well, that or yeah. money, I suppose. If you go into .NET, it's for money. Do you think people actually code because <laughs> they think, I want to get rich? It's too much. Like, Not rich, it's no. too much hard work, I think. No, the people who do that would be the people who want to be CTOs. Like the people oh, who go... Yeah. Uh, we, I think we both know someone like that. We won't name anyone, but <laughs> <laughs> this person that we both know is very, uh, he's not in, into coding for, uh, the problem solving or the, the, uh, the enjoyment, I suppose. Yeah. It's more just like he wants to have built a product that makes money yeah. and then he can like have the yachts and be Elon Musk. <laughs> <laughs> Not that there's anything wrong with that, but no, that's fine. I, it's, I just it's don't great think, aspiration. I don't think you can code every day unless you really like it. And the, you know how some people say, "Oh, it's coding's hard. Like I couldn't do that." I reckon everyone could code if they want. Like if they Ooh. wanted to, it's all about. I don't know they, about that. I reckon they can. The more that I, the more that I try and introduce people to coding, the more I realize how difficult it, it is, and also how different my vocabulary is yeah. from people who don't program. I'm sure anyone who really wants to can yeah not everyone can though yeah. i don't i genuinely don't believe i could teach my mother how to program even if she really wanted actually, to actually yeah i'm thinking of mom and the other yeah my dad going. either necessarily <laughs> yeah. even even other people that i know in technology that don't do programming have issues coding and they have the same vocabulary but there's still there's a lot of time you have to sink into it it's an entirely different mindset, I think, than yeah. most people have day to day. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. But I still think anyone can do it. <laughs> <laughs> I, if you want to. Like, if it's, it's, like if it's your overriding passion, anyone can learn to play the piano if they have the physical ability to, you could say. But as long as you've got a certain amount of There's also things. a lot of different types of people. Some people are genuinely more people-focused and wouldn't be as interested in programming. Yeah, that's right. And those people probably would start in programming as they're... If they're in university or something, they'd start in programming, they'd be in computer science, and then they'll end up as a product manager because yeah. that maybe that's not what their actual passion is, yeah. but they have to get into an enterprise to actually sort out what they want. 
which I, I think is actually uh, we had a scrum ma- master at my last job who did computer science, yeah. hated programming, uh, yeah. passed, was great at yeah. at uh, the course, but then went in to be a scrum master. So. Yeah, a lot of people still like technology and not necessarily the coding aspect, I suppose. Like people love uh-huh. their new gadgets and gaming and like. I don't think anything so we do has to do with gadgets. No, <laughs> this like, you know what I mean. Like, I don't write anything for the Apple Watch. I'm sorry. <laughs> watch this space. Who knows? Yeah. Actually, I'm glad I've got that recorded. We Zap on watch. <laughs> yeah, we might have to add a, add a watch feature. Yeah. Zap dash dash watch. Yeah, that's a good. That's one. a that's a command line flag joke. <laughs> if anyone didn't get that. We do tech jokes on this <laughs> podcast. They're not that good, but working, right? <laughs> that was my joke. You had to say that about your jokes, Frank. <laughs> um, but yeah. I think there's people I know who I wouldn't have expected to get into programming that got into programming. So I think it, you can definitely make it a career, but I don't think you'd get into it with the same. I don't want to say level because I don't think there's a superiority thing about it, but I, I don't think they would do it as much for fun as we would. Yeah. I spend most of my time programming and I would rather be programming than doing most anything. Mm. So once you, uh, once you've got that level of proficiency where you don't have to reference as much stuff and you've got a fairly good mental model, it's quite enjoyable to just punch out, sling some code. Yeah. As you put it, we'd probably be in factories if this podcast took place, you know, 60 years ago. Because I think we'd both enjoy working with our hands and doing something with proficiency. Yeah. It'd be either engineering or uh, factory work. All my um, relatives are farmers, so I'd be on the farm. Oh, that's true, <laughs> The family has a lot to do with it. I think genetically people seek out, you know, uh, some, some people are, are like destined to, to work with their hands or build stuff, for sure. Oh, yeah. yeah, there's definitely like a draw to that some families I think mm. yeah like my family my brother's my brother does it my dad does it it's hard not to you're the only one left who hasn't started yet oh no I mean like building something like software oh, so like yeah <laughs> <laughs> also with the hands I've done some buildings I, I used to do leather working leather working drive blacksmithing you've you've tried your hand oh my god I've tried too many things <laughs> it's disgusting at least actually. you found one you like I wonder how many other uh, software people, I don't want to say software engineer. It sounds so pretentious when I say it on a mic. <laughs> that actually was my job title, but that's fine. Uh, I, I wonder how many other jo- software people came from a background like mine where it was like butchery, like one of those manual trades like that. Yeah. I know someone who came from construction, but even that isn't quite as disgusting and like <laughs> soul-destroying as butchery, I don't think. <laughs> I'm sure there's a lot money. of people who uh, love butchery. That also are programmers. You think <laughs> You think there's a lot of crossover. <laughs> Actually, you're probably the only one. No, there there, there must be more. I, there should be a support group. Reach out to like us, me. all you butcher coders. That's right. <laughs> Hit me up. <laughs> Hit us up. Yeah. Um, yeah, get in contact. We want to hear. We'll have our contact details in the show notes because we actually don't know what the... <laughs> this is episode 102. <laughs> we don't actually have a... Uh, a URL yet? No, we're still working on all, yeah. all the details. That's right. This is the this is the Gary V. Part. Just just do it. Yeah. Execution mode. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Cool. Cool. 
That's probably one episode. That's that's an unruly software. If that's I've that's unruly really software. We should have started off with that, but yes. I didn't even say fuck once. <laughs> <laughs> it's not that unruly. <laughs> well, we've got more stuff to talk about in the next one. We've got to talk about the boot camp. Boot camp. We met at the boot camp. We've got to talk about We did. That. We met. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, talk about life before the boot camp. Yeah, but it's like not being in programming What's like when you're destined to be a programmer. <laughs> what, what the first job was like? We're going to talk about that. The first job? The terror? We did our internship together as well, so oh, that's yeah, quite that interesting. Yeah, yeah. We can't talk about it right now, obviously. That's, that's wasting episode. content, yeah, yeah. but yeah. So much. All right, everyone. Lovely to have you all on board. Get us up in our links. DMs. DMs. Cr- crawl into our DMs. <laughs> <laughs> Is that what kids say these days? <laughs> <laughs> oh, <man. laughs> all right, we're done. Ciao.